Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I've been presenting a series of programs on the subject of divorce and remarriage, and I have produced these programs for those who have been divorced. That is my intended audience in producing these programs. But one of the things that you will hopefully have noticed, hopefully you have noticed this, is that there are some things in these programs that I've produced that you have found helpful And there are other things that I have said in these programs that you probably have found to be offensive. This is very important, and you should expect to see both, and this is why. The reason why is because when a divorce takes place between two people, there is going to be pain. There will be pain. That is just simply the natural result of two people who are bonded together separating from one another. You should expect there to be some pain of some kind that both people are going to experience. Now, in some ways, a person might experience relief in addition to that pain. And so, in some ways, a person is going to be struggling with the issues related to the pain and suffering because of the circumstances or situations that led up to the divorce or the divorce itself. And in other ways, a person is going to feel a sense of relief because they are probably out of a situation that perhaps they did not want to be in, or now they have a new opportunity to begin a new life. And this is a very important thing for a person to recognize, and that is that after you have been divorced, you are now in a situation where you are going to have to begin a new life. And this can be an exciting thing for some people. In some circumstances, it can be positive. In other circumstances, it won't be so positive. But what I would like you to consider at the moment is that there will be some pain and there will be relief. And so one of the ways of describing the situation that usually unfolds when a divorce takes place is that the pain can be distributed between each person, that one person may experience 60% pain and 40% relief, and the other person might experience 40% pain and 60% relief. Now, if you understand that, then you should expect me to say some things that you will find helpful and other things that you will not only find helpful, but that you will find offensive. But of those things that you find helpful, those could be the very things that other people find offensive. And those things that I say that you feel are offensive, there are other people who might feel that those things are helpful. And one of the ways of understanding this is to understand the distribution of pain and relief that usually gets experienced between the two individuals when they separate from their marriage and they begin a new life as individuals once again. So I wanted to take the opportunity at the beginning of this program to mention that and to help you understand that this is the case. And so if you have made it this far, 
in the programs that I have produced, now I think you can get in touch with what I'm talking about. Because by now you should have heard something that you found offensive and you should have heard something that you have found helpful. And I want you to know that as I continue to teach on this subject, if you listen to the rest of these programs, you will also find some things to be offensive and some things to be helpful. And you need to be mature about this. You need to consider this subject as the subject itself and find some way to look past your own personal pain and suffering In order to understand the subject first, and then you can apply the truths that you have learned in your own individual circumstance. I really want you to understand this. Now, as I mentioned in a previous program, at the end of a previous program, if you are dealing with the issues related to anger or fear or frustration or disappointment or rejection, if these are things that you are personally struggling with, by now you probably will notice that I didn't produce these programs to deal with these personal issues, probably in the way that you would like me to. There are other programs that I have produced in order to deal with these types of issues. For example, the series that I produced on forgiveness. I mentioned this at the end of a recent program that if you are dealing with a circumstance where somebody has violated you in a real way, then these programs were not produced to address the pain and the suffering that you're experiencing. Listen to the programs I produced on forgiveness. In addition to that, you might find the programs that I produced on suffering to be helpful, and also the programs that I produced on the subject of depression. You probably will find some helpful things in those programs also. These programs are produced to deal with the subject at hand, not to deal with the struggles that people have when it comes to healing from the effects of a failed marriage. And in addition to that, these programs are not produced for the purpose of helping someone heal or deal with the issues related to a marriage that they are in right now. I'm not producing these programs to deal with the subject of marriage, although you might find some things helpful That subject is a very important subject. I'm just simply not doing programs on that subject in this series of programs. Now, in a previous program, I also mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And in this program and in subsequent programs, I'm going to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and then I will proceed to talk about a few more issues that people are usually wondering about or curious about when this subject comes up. I'm going to spend some time talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 7, but to begin with, I'm going to tie off a few issues that I raised in previous programs that I would just like to spend a little bit more time on before I really get into chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. The first thing is that I did mention verses 8 and 9 in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, it says, But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, It is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And I've talked about this from two points of view. The first point of view, of course, is that people will sometimes engage in adultery because they are burning with passion in their marriage. And I did mention that if this is something that you are dealing with, that if this is an issue in a person's life, that it would be better, I believe, it would be better for them to divorce 
rather than commit adultery. I mean, if it really is that big of a deal, if it's that serious of an issue for a person that they feel that they are not going to be able to exercise self-control because the relationship that they are in is just simply not dealing with this particular passion that they have, I realize that some people will say that you need to find some way to suppress the passion, and I would definitely encourage a person to begin with that. But the reality is is that sometimes people make a decision to commit adultery because of this burning that they are dealing with. And I'm saying that if that's the case, and adultery is going to occur, it is better to divorce and then marry this person who you intend to commit adultery with. My point is, is that you need to do things honestly, truthfully. You need to be open and not live a life of secrecy or a life that will destroy the life of somebody else. Of course, if you divorce your spouse, you may very well destroy their life, but that's the kind of decision a person has to make. Is it going to be adultery or is it going to be divorce? And if it's going to be one or the other, I do believe that it's better to choose that which is bad rather than that which is really bad. So again, I'm not saying this for the purpose of providing a person with permission or to forbid anything. I am just simply dealing with the subject to say that the Lord made a provision in the law for this purpose. And if this is a circumstance, we cannot violate or speak against the Mosaic law to say that there's something wrong with the law because there isn't anything wrong with the Mosaic law. We should use it for the purpose that it was given for. And if a person wants to deal with the issues related to right and wrong, good and evil, then these are the kinds of decisions that eventually have to be made. So I wanted to mention that with relevance to burning with passion and the fact that sometimes people make decisions in their lives because of the passion that they are dealing with and that this passion may be so strong within an individual that they are not able to exercise self-control. Now, the Lord provided marriage in order to help alleviate this issue or this pressure that a person may be struggling with. And so if people are dealing with this, then I believe they should marry and they should exercise these kinds of passions within the context of marriage, that there's nothing evil about having this passionate desire or engaging in such passionate activities, provided that it is within the boundaries that God established, that this should take place in the proper context. But here's the challenge. The challenge with respect to the subject of divorce and remarriage is that When two people get married for the first time, and if they are getting married for the purpose of being able to express the passion that they have within them with each other, if this is what is taking place, and then for whatever reason they get divorced, probably not because of this, but maybe because of something else, who knows? Regardless of the reason, this is what takes place. People will look at the situation, they will look at the circumstance, and they will say, listen, if you've never been married before and you are burning with passion, it is better for you to marry than to burn with passion. And so let's see what we can do about getting you married, about getting you a spouse, right? But the problem is, is that when a divorce takes place, what happens when a person is still burning with passion? Because that is their makeup. And this can be quite a challenge for some people because not everyone has a high degree of passion when it comes to this issue. 
Some people have virtually no interest, no passionate desire concerning these things at all, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But at the same time, I also have to say that if a person does have a high degree of passionate desire, that's not evil either, that that is not evil in comparison with the one who has none at all, and that we do not even need to try to find or identify the proper average and to say that this is the right average and that those who have less than this have a problem or those who have more than this have a problem. This is not the way life is. But one of the things that's very real is that when a person does not have a passionate desire concerning these things, they will have a hard time understanding the dynamics and the issues that a person struggles with if they do have a high degree of passion. This is an obstacle in communication, and it is also a significant obstacle when it comes to condemning a person because of the passionate desire that they have within them and how they express that or how they live their life as it can often be affected by that. So this is the point. The point is is that when a person gets divorced, the passionate desire is not likely to be any less than it was when they first got married. But when people, and I'm not forbidding anybody from remarrying or giving people permission to remarry, but when people forbid people from remarrying, then this becomes the new message. The new message becomes now to those who are divorced, to those who are divorced, it is better to burn with passion than to marry. That's what people do. They read verse 9 and they say, now if you're not married or if you're a widow, if you're not married, perhaps a virgin, never been married before, or if you are a widow, it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But if you're divorced, it's the exact opposite. It's better to burn with passion than it is to marry. This is what people end up teaching. They end up teaching that if you've been divorced, now that you have been divorced, it's better to burn with passion than to marry because if you get married, you would then be guilty of sin. You would be guilty of adultery. And perhaps they might refer to Matthew chapter 5 or Matthew chapter 19, or Luke or Mark, as I mentioned in earlier programs, in order to justify that kind of a position. Or they may refer to other passages in the letters that Paul wrote in order to support that kind of a position. But I do not believe that that is the intended conclusion of any of these verses, that if this becomes the conclusion that a person derives through the study of the scriptures, then I believe that there is a discrepancy somewhere between the point of them deciding to pursue a study of this subject until the point of coming to that conclusion. There is a discrepancy that occurred somewhere in between there. And I, of course, don't know where it is because these are individual circumstances. But what I want you to consider is that you can't have it both ways. You can't say it is better to marry than to burn with passion and also to say it is better to burn with passion than to marry. You can't say both because if you do, you will live in a contradiction. And let me tell you something about divorced people. This is a point of confusion. This is a point of concern. How can you say to someone that it is better to marry than it is to burn with passion, and then tell them, except for you, you know, it's better for you to burn with passion than it is to marry. This creates a lot of concern, and what usually happens is that a person will just simply abandon the faith because they see the contradiction. 
they see that there is definitely something wrong with this. And for you, it may be no big deal because you're not divorced or because you don't have any passion within you when it comes to this anyway. So to you, it's no big of a deal. And if that's the case, good for you. But what about everybody else? The Lord our God is their God too. And you need to consider the fact that he has made a provision for them just as he has made a provision for you. This is a very real issue that I really believe needs to be expressed, that it needs to be spoken of, and so I'm speaking about it right now. Now, when it comes to those who do not burn with passion, when it comes to people who do not, and again, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Don't ever look at a person and say that there is something evil about them because they don't burn with passion or because they do, that this is just simply an individual situation or circumstance or makeup within an individual person as we are all different people. But if a person does not, then can they marry? Well, of course they can marry. There's nothing wrong with getting married, but it can be helpful to understand that they are not getting married because they are burning with passion and they have a desire to express that passion in an appropriate context. They're getting married for other reasons. Now, this is what needs to be understood, and that is that if a person is getting married and they are not getting married because they are burning with passion, what happens if they marry someone who is burning with passion? Is there going to be an understanding between the two people? Is there going to be an understanding that one person has a greater desire for such things and the other person has a lesser desire or perhaps no desire at all? Is there going to be an understanding between the two? This is a very good topic for the subject of marriage that I'm not going to talk about right now. I'm just simply raising the issue because I want to talk about something else. I'm raising the issue that a person may find themselves in a circumstance where they are married to someone else who does not have the same passionate desire to the degree where they may have no desire at all and the other person might marry somebody who does. How are they going to relate to each other? Well, there are different definitions of marriage. There are different ideas that people have concerning what marriage is. So I'm going to talk about just one small idea, one way that people consider marriage, and this is usually considered or it is derived from an individual who is not burning with passion. Now, this does not always happen. Sometimes it happens to varying degrees. So what I'm about to tell you is a generalization of some circumstances. It definitely is not all circumstances. But without this being understood, there can be a lot of opportunity for confusion. And I'm not aware of anybody who's ever really spoken about this. And so I'm going to speak about it now because I do believe it is something that happens enough that it needs to be mentioned in a general set of programs such as this. And that is that if a person is marrying someone else for another reason besides burning with passion, this reason can or it might not be an appropriate reason. There are many reasons why a person might get married, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But there are some reasons that I believe can lead to some distortions or some confusion, can even lead to some pain and suffering that can easily lead to divorce. Now, there are many circumstances when this happens 
whereas the man has no passionate desire and the woman does. But in most cases, and I'm just speaking in generalities, of course, in most cases it is the woman who does not have a passionate desire and a man does, and then they get married, and you have a woman who relates to her man in a different way than the man relates to his wife. And, of course, there's nothing wrong with these things, just as long as there is an understanding between the two persons. But what often happens is that the woman will marry a man for reasons that don't necessarily build a healthy marriage. Let me give you an example. Sometimes a woman will marry a man because she wants security. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting security. There's nothing wrong with having security. But I believe that this is not an appropriate reason for a woman to marry so that she might have security. If she does get married, she should enjoy the security. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with it. It should be there. It should be enjoyed. But if this is the reason for the marriage, it can lead to a number of serious complications. It can lead to a number of issues. And that is what I'm referring to is the consequences of getting married for this purpose. Now, security can be divided up into two parts. One can be physical security, but, you know, physical security can be obtained in other ways. Get yourself an alarm system. Get a dog. Stay with your parents. Get a set of roommates who you trust and rely on. There are other ways of dealing with physical security, and so I'm just simply going to skip that for now. The other form of security that tends to take precedence is not physical security, but financial security, that they are there because the man is going to work and he's going to provide them with whatever resources they have a need for. This is one of the reasons why women will marry. And again, they should enjoy the financial security. They should expect financial security. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with it at all. The problems come from the attitude. The problems come from the intent that a person marries another person with the expectation that the purpose of the marriage is to be the recipient of the financial benefits that the other person can provide. Now you have a type of marriage where you have a specific role, that you are presenting yourself, and this is what happens, you are presenting yourself as the person that they can give to. That is what you present. That is what you offer. You are there so that they have someone who they can work for who they can give things to. This is an attitude that, of course, not all women have, and, of course, not all men have, but I'm just referring to the most common circumstance where women have a tendency to have this kind of an attitude where they will look at their husband in this way. They will look at their husband with the attitude of, I just want you to know that I am here in order to provide you with someone to give to that this is my service, that you are going to be recognized as a good man because I do this for you. This is my work. This is what I am offering. I am giving to you someone who you can give to. And because of that, you're going to benefit because you can now esteem a certain sense of pride or you can have a 
positive reputation because you provide for your wife, provide for your family. You do this, and so you are recognized as a good person. And I am the one who is providing you with someone who you can give to. And so I am a good person because I provide you with myself. Now, this is what happens, though. What happens is that what the husband gives the wife is not just an act of service of the husband, it is also then, with this kind of an attitude, an act of service of the wife. So this is what happens. Receiving the financial security becomes the service of the recipient. Again, the receiving of the financial security becomes the service of the recipient. So if this is the service of the recipient, then what will be the compensation for the service? In other words, if the recipient provides the service of giving another the opportunity to give, then there is a debt. There is a debt that is owed. And this becomes the source of some very interesting statements. Things like, you owe me. Now, some of you men who have been divorced might have heard this from your former wife. You probably heard her on occasion say something like, you owe me. And you perhaps have been a little confused by this. You've been confused because you thought, my goodness, I worked incredibly hard and I gave. And in your unique circumstance, she didn't work, although she worked in the home. She was primarily the recipient of your labor. If you do some calculations to define some net value, you might be a little confused by the fact that you seem to give her an abundance more than what you got in return. And yet she says you owe her the reason why this happens. And again, this is something that happens sometimes, but obviously not all the time. It just happens enough that I think it's worth mentioning. What has happened is that over time, you owed her for her service of giving you someone to give to, and you were never able to pay that, and eventually the debt became such a burden that she resented you. That's what normally happens, and this is the result of this belief that marriage is about obtaining financial security, and this is one of the ways that a person will end up in divorce when this is the kind of marriage that people have. I will continue with this subject in the next broadcast. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net